Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Pass the Torch for episode 15. I'm fired up about today's episode as I sat live in person in Las Vegas with UFC superstar Calvin Cater and his coach Tyson Chartier. We hung out in their kitchen and chatted about what got them into the fight game, the obstacles they faced to rise the ranks of the UFC, the details of a fight camp, and who they are beyond the octagon. This was an incredible episode that gives some unbelievable insight into the life of a UFC fighter and the lessons they learned along the way that can be applied to all aspects of life. For anyone new to the UFC, you're going to love today's episode. And stay tuned next week for our exclusive interview with UFC president Dana White. But first, let's get to know Calvin and Tyson. Let's go. All right, so yeah, we are out here in Las Vegas with UFC superstar Calvin Cater and his coach Tyson Cartier. Probably fucked that up, but uh, you told <laughs> me right in the recording. But <laughs> no, thanks for joining the podcast, guys. How are you? Good man, thanks for having us on. Yeah, so small world that brought us together was we were actually on the same flight from Boston, uh, both Boston boys. So I'm excited to talk to you guys about that. And you're out here for Rob Font. He's headlining UFC's fight night on April 30th next Saturday. So you guys are obviously in his camp. We're gonna dive into all that. But first, I want to talk about your guys' relationship. So, where did you guys first meet? Us? Yeah. Um, on the set of Here Comes the Boom. It was like 2011. They were just hiring a bunch of local fighters. Believe it or not, I used to not be as fat, and I fought. Um, <laughs> so, they hired a bunch of local fighters to be extras in the movie. So, we all got cast in that. And then me and I think what our role was, we were like VIP fighters. Extras. Yeah. Just Is this extras. a Hollywood movie? Yeah. Kevin James is in it. Okay. So, like, Here Comes the Boom. Yeah. So, they filmed the final fight scene at the Songus Arena in Lowell. So we were there for, what, 10 days? It yeah. was like 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. every day for like 10 days straight while they were filming the final scene. And I just met him on the set and got to know him a little bit. And that was in 2011. And then we didn't link up training-wise until 2015. Something like that. So, so not love at first sight. It took a little bit. Yeah, you had to come to his senses. And see yeah, yeah, I called him on a whim. Rob Font was fighting at uh, the TD Garden in, uh, in Boston. And I had been uh, promoting shows for like almost three years. And I uh, had the illusion of, like, you know, if, if I called him up and told him if someone pulled out that I might get a short notice call. And I was uh, down to put the, like, check next to the bucket list. I hadn't done it. It's been three years. And I was like, yeah, hey, if someone uh, pulls out, you know, throw my name on the list. He's like, it's not how it works. You know, you got to show them that you're active and competing again. So I ended up signing a managerial agreement with him. And um, he backdoored me into promoting that, that I signed it. Forced me to pretty much fight again. Start got me off the ground. And then... Uh, it was a good push. It was a push that I needed. I fought twice locally, and then I made my debut. Yeah, I love it. So to rewind a little bit, what got you guys into the fight game? So Tyson, you said you were actually a fighter before being a coach and manager. Yeah, so I wrestled in high school, and then after, and then in college, I played uh, lacrosse. Got out of college, and I was just itching to do something, so I tried uh, jujitsu. And I was watching like, UFC casually, and then just by chance, I happened to be on a plane. Dana will not remember this, but I was on a plane. <laughs> I went to Vegas, and on the way back, I sat right next to Dana White on a wow. plane. And uh, he's like, you got to come out next weekend and see the UFC fights. And I think it was like S Tim Sylvia fought Andre Arlovsky. So he linked me up with Donna, his secretary. She got, you know, I called her when he got off the plane, had tickets. I flew back out there the next weekend, saw my Uf first UFC fight. And I was like, coach, I was like, I got to, I got to want to do one fight. And yeah. then that led into a bunch more fights. But that was uh, how I got into MMA. And then by chance, I just kept doing it. And I started meeting other guys like Rob and then eventually Calvin. Yeah, and then Calvin, you started out as a wrestler at Methuen High School, right? Yep. And then from there, you just did you keep fighting? And like, how did it progress from wrestling to UFC? Yeah, I joke around with the guys, tell them everybody um, I lost to in wrestling. If I could have just punched them, like I would have won. <laughs> and then post high school wrestling, I found my sport. And uh, it was like six months after kind of graduating, I was at a standstill, didn't know what I wanted to do. 
and I missed the feeling of wrestling. So um, I, I joined. I saw my, my sister's best friend, Dave George, take his first fight. And then that Monday, I started training with him and, and uh, made my debut, pro debut, six months later. Well, yeah. And so was the UFC like always your dream or did you just start fighting to fight and it just kind of happened? That I just way? Uh, I, I saw him, my sister's friend, Dave George, fight. And then I, I wanted to start training with him and he was he was starting to competitively compete. Uh, fight so um, I was hanging with him I'm like shit he's doing it I, I might as well try it and then um, I got started like I said six months in and then it just set the hook people cheering your name the crowd going crazy back then I was coming out to disturb down to sickness Let's go. just like a, a street fight mentality trying to get amped up and uh, yeah, it, it was like the wild wild west back then when we were doing it yeah, and before you met Tyson, is it true that you used to train with the Diaz brothers? Yeah, I went out there for a training trip before um, Elite XC fight. It was after my third fight, and, um, man, it was rough. I was going out there two weeks before my fight into the one week before, yeah. and that's usually kind of as you start to taper down a little bit, and <laughs> I was the kid from Boston, young kid, hungry, and they would just, like, shark bait me, sending me to the Wolves, and, um, and, and it did open up my eyes to how, you know, people are actually training out there doing it. I walk into the gym and Nick and Nate Diaz are out there in Oakland. They got um, Andre Ward out there on the heavy bag. You know, yeah. it's it just like it was the mecca of fighting, and I, it changed the way I trained when I got back home. Because back home, my gym was only open in the evening. You know, like six, seven p.m. classes after people get out of work. These kids are like six, seven years old, shrimping down the mats like first thing in the morning. I'm like. I got to make it happen when I get back. Yeah, it's good to just get, like, a first look at what the greats do. And so you hear stories about, like, yeah, they trained till 1 a.m. and things like that. But you actually got to see it as, like, such a young age. It's going to be huge for your career. Yeah, set the set the way I train, um, you know. And so I linked up with these guys, and then I found some kids from Boston that actually, you know, do it at that level, too. Yeah, I love it. And so we'll talk more about your fighting career, but I want to talk about why you guys are out here in Vegas. So Rob Font's fight coming up. So obviously, Tyson, you're a huge part of his camp being his coach. But I guess, Calvin, like how, how involved are you in their fight camp? Being on the UFC roster, is that unique or is that common in the UFC? Uh, I, what do you think? Probably somewhat common, I'd say, as far as, I mean, I don't know. Maybe our story is unique, but, but you know. I think, like, some would describe it jokingly as, like, a bromance. Like, they're mm. two guys that are similar weight classes, and they, they coach each other, but then they get coached, you know, like yeah. they're – when he's in camp, Rob's all in on like whatever whatever Calvin needs, and then the minute Calvin's fight's done, Rob's in camp. Calvin shifts gears and he becomes like Coach Cal. Like, and it's not just a, he's like a teammate, so he's there like you know helping with even if it's like dirty laundry that needs to be cleaned up after the weight cut. Like whatever needs to be done, he does it, and um, they're pretty selfless in that regard. And I think it's probably not as common as we'd want it to be, but like a lot of the teams do have that like team atmosphere where they're going to help each other. And but where where the guys these guys like. They don't have anybody else. Like we have a small team by design, so you know, if he drops the ball, there's no one else to pick it up. So like these guys really do rely heavily on each other. So you know, they both corner each other for every fight. Um, you know, the synergy is real. It's not just on the cameras. Like these guys, like yeah. when neither one of them has a fight, they're still training together. So yeah. it's uh, it's pretty authentic. Yeah, and so Calvin, you'll be there ringside on Saturday, right? <laughs> So what's what's your style going to be in the corner? I, over COVID, it's been pretty cool as like a fan of the UFC, kind of hearing that perspective of what the coaches are saying because you don't get that when it's a packed arena, right? Yeah. But I guess what's your style going to be on Saturday? Are you going to let Rob do his thing or are you going to be screaming and yelling? Well, Rob always does his thing no matter what. But, um, yeah, I always get more nervous for, for watching his fights than mine because you can't really impact it or control it, you know, as much as you want. Like your fight, you're in somewhat complete control of everything that happens. And, um, and when he's fighting, man, my gloves, they get just filled up with sweat. It's gross. Um, but, 
Yeah, it's 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 always nerve wracking. I, I got a middle like cornering Rob and then making sure Kathy's good because Kathy gets uh you know crazy before every fight. She's like kind of just chilling out. She's in the corner as well, but she doesn't go up like to go talk to Rob in between rounds. So just she doesn't move. She just stays there posted up. It's awesome. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I love it. And so how many weeks has it been when you guys started fight camp? So you have a fight on April 30th. When does that official fight camp start for Rob? So, Buster, lay down. I think what Buster's trying to say is <laughs> seven week camp. Seven weeks. Yeah, we had uh, seven weeks and two days for this one uh, is when we got the call. And uh, normally we'd like a little bit longer, but, you know, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And um, these guys are in the gym year round. So it's, you know, a little bit of an adjustment with a, in a bridge camp, but um, these guys are professionals, so as long as you're training when you don't have a bout agreement, then it's it's pretty easy to ramp it up to a nine or a ten. To play and night. that's kind of like the good part of of you know Union when he's fighting. If we're not on the same card, it's kind of nice being off beat because when I don't have something lined up, you know he's pulling me back in the gym for him, and when when uh, when I have something lined up and he doesn't, I'm pulling his ass back in the gym, and we're constantly just you know not skipping a beat. I love it. And so now he's coming out. Rob's coming off a loss, right? And you guys are probably aware of this, but both Rob and Calvin, you guys have never lost back-to-back -back fights. And so what is it? What is your mentality coming off a loss that leads to your success? Yeah, no, we'll definitely knock <laughs> on some wood. Doctor, doctor, <laughs> really I'm knocking on wood. You're not going to lose. But what yeah. is that mentality coming off a loss? Why are you guys so good after a loss? Um, just no room for error. You know, uh, you know, shit happens maybe, but um, you know, after a fight like that, it's just – even after a win, it's always on to the next. People think, like, oh, just because you're coming off a win, like, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, coming off wins, it's like, I don't really want to talk about the last one, even if it's a win. I'm trying to always be on the, ne the next fight. The last fight doesn't really do much for you other than create the opportunity ahead of you, and um, the next one's always the most important one. But So how much film study goes into a UFC fight? Tyson does a lot. A lot, yeah. <laughs> I think I probably do a lot more than average, but, you know, a lot of it depends on, like, who you're fighting to. Like, I remember when we fought a Sun Tso, I think it was like 47 rounds because he had a lot of decisions. So 47 rounds just of UFC fights. That's five-minute rounds each. You got, Just to watch those takes a while. And then after that, then you get to go through, you get to take notes, you got to break it down, then you can go back and watch things, then you're putting, you know, videos together of tendencies and stuff. It takes a lot of time. Like, I, I think, like, you know, you're looking at, like, a couple, I don't know, if I had to put, like, a number on it, like, a minimum of 40 hours of just yeah. just time at the computer studying to come up with a game plan because we'll always back into uh, how we run the, how I run the camp based on how we're going to fight. So, like, you know, we have your meat and potatoes that you're going to train if you don't have a fight desire training. But then, like, that's, you know, 20 30% of what you're going to do once you get that bout agreement is uh, focused just tailored towards who you're fighting. And um, that comes from the film study. It's like, what does he do here? What does he do there? Going over all that stuff, introducing it. And then talking with the other coaches about what we're going to do in various positions, and then, and then you got to go out and rep it. Yeah, you know, these guys got to get to hammer it in. Like for, it's been seven weeks of hammering in. This is what Cheeto does here. This is what we're going to do, and then just repetition, repetition. So that way on fight night, you know, ideally when Cheeto goes to do something, I know what he's going to do before it happens. You know, and you have these moments with fighters. I remember this one time, Rob was fighting. I can't remember who it was the Silva or something, and then right as he went, I could tell he was about to spin, and I was like, here it comes, and Rob's like nodded and after the fight he's like I saw it too you know and so you want to be on that level of like the same page going in but that that can't happen if you're not watching film and you're not studying and uh, getting prepared on you know on the film side right and so Calvin as a fighter when Tyson's in your corner kind of giving you all these tips throughout the round he's going to spin whatever it may be 
how much are you able to intake that knowledge and put it into the octagon? Or are you just like zoned in on what you're depends, doing? It depends, man. It depends what he's saying. Sometimes this guy says crazy shit. Yeah. <laughs> just last fight, he said something about my mother and my sister. And I had to tell him, bro, you keep my sister and my mother's name out of your mouth. I don't care for mid fight. But he likes to talk and say that was my highest output round after that. But <laughs> he finds ways to just get at you, get your attention going. I mean, I know in, uh, in Boston before round three, you were uh, you know, saying something about like, you talk some shit. You kind of got a little, you know, you, you talked a little shit, I think. Yeah, I think it's like he won the first round. He, he followed the game plan. In the second round, he kind of took his, he t- took his foot off the gas pedal a little. What is he barking for? Buster, go lay down. The dogs are antsy to get in the octagon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, you know, he kind of took his foot off the gas pedal. You know, when he first made that call in 2015 to uh, say he wanted to fight in the UFC, it's like, I've always wanted to fight at the Garden. That was like one of his dreams. Mm-hmm. And now here he is. He went out against an undefeated fighter. The guy was, I think, 3-0 in the UFC, uh, 10-0 overall. And he went out and he, you know, he won the first round. And then all of a sudden, just it was like he was giving away the second round. Not on purpose. He just, he just wasn't doing what he needed to do. And I got in there after the second round, and I, I think I challenged him a little bit. I was like, listen, like, do, do you know how to get in like a street fight? I was like, because you need to go forward and get in a fight. I was like, show me that you're tough. And he was like, what the fuck? Yeah, I can do that. I was like, well, go out there and do it, you know? And, um, and he did, you know? But it's... You know, I think over the pandemic, a lot of, like, the coaching in between the corners has kind of gotten a, maybe a little bit focused on too much because I think sometimes it makes a difference, sometimes it doesn't. But what I've seen is some of these coaches are thinking about choreographed speeches in between. I don't think of what I'm going to say. I try to think of, like, if they're having a bad round, how do I want to boost them up or vice versa. But. Some of the people are speaking to, like, the camera, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not That's so much the fighter, but to yeah. the camera. Yeah, so like. what I, it's like a gut thing that you feel going into that round. And, like, I didn't have a plan to mention your mom and sister, but I just felt like <laughs> it was like we were dominating hand. the kid for four rounds. After the, the whole year layoff, it was we had all this momentum, and it was like, let's go out and put a stamp on it and get a finish. And uh, so I was just trying to find a little bit. Of, and, he, and they were, you know, you fight for 20 minutes, that fight you had with Giga. Fighting for 20 minutes, like, it's all hard in that fifth round. It's right. like, and I know Calvin's heart was going to be bigger than his. And I think, um, you know, I just wanted him to, like, not come back in the locker room after feeling like he left anything left, like he could have gone for a finish. I wanted to, like, whatever I could in between the rounds to try to get him to go for that finish. And I think if you look at the output numbers of the round, he did have his best round. And with, like, 10 seconds left, he did drop him and he almost yeah. finished the fight. So, kudos. Yeah, that first 10 seconds, I'm like, listen, don't say a word. <laughs> Give me my water, right? Like, let me breathe. Don't say anything because I'm not listening. Because you need at least 10 seconds. And then, um, and then after that, he'll go on a spiel. I'll ask him kind of repeat a lot of it towards the end, like, and then – at that point, honestly, what I get, what I take the most is the shit he's saying on his walk out of the cage. Because mm. I'm like, finally kind of got my wind under, under me again. And then he's saying just the last kind of key points. And then that's what I'll remember the most is kind of like the last couple of things he says before he leaves. And it's usually some basics, you know, that, that'll kind of serve you throughout the round. Well, I'm excited to listen to Rob's fight and see what you got up your sleeve. I'm going to keep a keen ear to the, to the TV. I say, say something worth listening to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I want to stay on the topic of confidence a little bit. So how do you earn your confidence as a fighter? Is that through your training and preparation, or is it something you're born with? Uh, for me, it's like the only way. You can't fake confidence. My debut, I didn't honestly – the only confidence I had was that, like, I haven't been, like, really roughed up, roughed up yet. And I was like, if this is that guy, then so be it. And, and you have to, you know – you have to take your, your moment, your opportunity, even if you're not 100% as ready as you know, you'd like to be because this opportunity doesn't wait for anybody. And so uh, for that one specifically, I had just come off eight days in Vegas, and, and it was two-week notice. I lose 20 pounds. <clears throat> I can't, like, pretend I'm in any better shape than I was. I, I was plus 375 as an underdog. 
my buddies are all like kind of smirking, like loving it. I'm like, guys, like I don't know, man. I feel like shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel as confident as you guys feel. But uh, yeah, it worked out. Just at the end of the day, you got to turn it on when it's time to, and um, and also you know putting together a good game plan and and under the circumstances that we were in, and uh, executed. But yeah, I love it. And so, do you ever have fear walking into an octagon? Because if I, it was me, I would shit myself. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what's going through your head? What are you telling yourself before you step into the cage? I mean, the the, the whole thing is everything's weird about it until you get into the octagon, and then it's kind of like what you do every day. You know, you're not used to Bruce Buffer being there. You're not used to the crowd. You're not used to being in that venue. But when you kind of uh, when when they say go and it's go time, it's kind of what you do all day, every day, and. Um, and it's just a little bit brighter, you know, and then uh, you got that smell of the gloves, and it's just real. Like, it just gets real, man. Um, but at that point, by the time it's like when you would get nervous, it's almost like too late because I stay in the moment the whole time that by the time, like, I try not to think about even – I'm always on to, like, my next meal, you know what I mean, let alone by the time the fight comes. I'm not even in there yet, so why am I stressing about something? I'm not even in there yet, you know, focusing on the preparation. And then as I check off the preparation and it's about time to make that walk, now it's like, all right – control your breathing, just go th running through the, the systems, you know, and then by the time it's time to go, it, it's like too late to be almost, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, uh, I, I'm not just faking it, you know, but of course, you know, those feelings are there, but you just kind of push through and, and uh, on the back end, I always kind of relate to that roller coaster ride. Yeah, it's a little fearful. You get in line at the roller coaster. You're like, oh, it looks fun. Let me get in line. You get in line. All of a sudden, people start getting behind you. And now you can't really get off. You're kind of stuck in line. Now you're getting closer to the front. You're like, oh, shit. Oh shit! And all of a sudden you're up in line. You go down, and you're like, holy shit, that was insane. I want to do it again. You know, let me get back in line. And then all of a sudden you go through that same process of emotions. People get behind you, can't get off. And, uh, every time, and you know, you just um, it, the only way out is through. Yeah, I love it. And so I know he's going to be pretty humble about this. So I'll ask you, Tyson. What makes Calvin such a good fighter? I think it's just his mindset. Like, good coaching, you know. Yeah, he's <laughs> got a great coach. Um, <laughs> I think it's the mindset. Like, you know, I, I always say there's three things I look for in fighters, that it's talent, um, willingness to work hard, and then the home life. And um, Calvin has all three of those. Obviously, he's very talented. He was a good wrestler, even though he started wrestling in high school. Um, he's obviously got good hands. You know, he's got the talents there. You know, he's got the, a good frame for his division. Um, the work ethic is, is second to none. You know, him and Rob, it's like who can work harder, you know, and, and they push each other in that sense. So I don't. I never have to tell them to work harder. It's like I have to pull them back to, hey, calm down. We don't want to overtrain. And then the home life. He's got, you know, one of the most supportive families I've ever, I've ever met. I mean, I call his mom my mom now, and um, his brother and sisters. They, they're awesome. Like he's got really supportive home life. But I think those three together, when you can have all three of those things, that's what. That's when you get a special athlete. And like you know, him and Rob both have that. And I think um, going back to like adding in the mindset that he has, like knowing that he's going into a fight, being like, all right, well you're going to have to break me because I'm not going to quit. You know, like I know, like I said, going into that fifth round with Giga, like I knew he was tired, but I knew Giga would be more tired. And I knew if they were the same amount of tired, he would work harder. So um, you can't teach that. That's not something you can kind of like sharpen that in practice by getting them in that dark area where they want to quit and, you know, pushing them a little further. But that's something that it's like an innate ability you have as like a, like a, as a person that, or you don't have. And, and he has that. And that's something that like, you know, you can really go far with just that. Yeah, 100%. And now I want to give you the floor to be Tyson's hype man because you were MMA coach of the year in 2020, right? And so clearly – Sorry, Eric. Okay. Co-coach. Co-coach <laughs> of the year. So clearly some skill in the, in the corner. But so like, what makes Tyson such a great coach? 
kind of the same things. He has a great home life and, and supportive family that allows him to go out and do that. Um, he's not really so involved in this for the money, but I think the money comes when you have that type of mindset. And um, and just the preparation and um, de- preparation and focus on the details going into the fights, you know. Um, you know, he gives a shit. He cares. So he, you, put, you could see that come out in the work. You know, it's not just like getting ready for uh, an, you know, another opponent. It's kind of like, you know, <coughs> he knows that every time we step in there, I mean, a lot can happen, you know. So he, he doesn't uh, take that re- responsibility lightly. And uh, and I think he earns it every camp. Yeah, I love it. Teammates, teammate, teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one gets there alone. Yeah. Or at least stays there. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So I want to step away from the octagon a little bit and talk about things beyond the sport. And so how important do you guys feel, and I guess more specifically you, Calvin, right now, how important do you think it is to share your story with the next generation to help inspire them and the young fighters that might be up and coming in the game, but just to pass along your experiences and lessons you've learned? How important is that to you? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, right now, just with the promoting, um, you know, taking over combat zone, I had fought for it nine times. And and. Um, I feel like I'm carrying the torch for it, you know, and I'm proud to do that. Um, having competed for Combat Zone, if it wasn't if it wasn't for Combat Zone in, in the area, it was only promotion um, at that time in my area, then I wouldn't have the opportunity to compete and then eventually, you know, make it to the UFC. So um, I, I, I don't take that responsibility lightly either. I try to, you know, um, mimic the UFC on a budget yeah. <laughs> as best as I can, but provide that opportunity for these guys to get that, that next, you know, um, that UFC lifestyle like I'm getting right now, and, and it doesn't exist if you don't provide opportunities and kind of, not only that, but um, just expedite the process, streamline it for them, you know, cut out the mistakes, um, have them doing things the right way first uh, rather than uh, fixing all the mistakes. And um, that's why, you know, Tyson's <coughs> mindset on the team, keeping it small, tight-knit, before you kind of get over overwhelmed with the numbers and lose control. It's like we have a good control uh, group of people that – want to work hard, put in the work, and uh, you're seeing the results from that. How many fighters right now are in Combat Zone? Combat Zone, it's, it's, we're open to all New England area. It's not like exclusive, so we don't tie guys down to contracts. I just tr- try to provide opportunities for them. You know, if they want to fight and compete for me, cool. If not, um, you know, go elsewhere. But I just want to keep these guys busy, provide opportunities. Yeah, you're channeling your, in- your Dana White a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man, I, now I see why he has no hair. <laughs> for real, this shit is stressful. <laughs> so, but, yeah, I mean, like, what, so you guys had a fight at Encore. You had, what, 30 fighters, right? Uh, yeah, give or take, you got uh, 15 fights on the card, and generally you're looking at like a 12 to 15. That's 30 fighters, and sometimes it's easier to just focus when you're fighting on just your opponent. You know, it's like easier in a sense, and even though it's a lot more dangerous, but on uh, promoting, you're going to worry about 30 fighters. It's it's crazy. Yeah, that's I mean, that's wild. And so the boss man, Dana White, um, we're, we have a podcast episode with him. Excited to talk to him. He's been nothing but great for our company, supporting us over the past few years, but your relationship with him as a fighter. There's obviously all the rumors and drama that goes on in the UFC, but what are your experiences with Dana? Has he been treated you well and whatnot? Yeah, everything with Dana's been great. Uh, I can only imagine, you know, um, the shoes he's wearing right now, yeah. what it takes to get there and, and stay there, you know, coming from the same area. It's impressive to see, and, and um, it, it's definitely inspiring, you know, seeing someone come from our area, do what he's done in the fight game. And, and like we joke about, but me doing the smaller level of promotion, I have a different perspective on it and really know what it takes, you know, at some capacity for just a small part of what he's got on a daily basis. And I can only imagine the rest. 
but yeah, it's great to see. Yeah, and so Tyson, you said you met him on the plane for the first time, right? See that same person kind of on camera, high energy that he was on the plane. We don't, we don't really have a lot of access to Dana when it comes to like the fighters. I mean, until you get to like that point where you like you have a belt or like you're like a Sean O'Malley type, like you're not getting pulled into the office to talk to him. Like he had that knockout over um, Lamas, and we got pulled into his green room right after, and he like gave him props. He's like, man, that was freaking awesome. That was pretty cool. He had a dope yeah. seat though, yeah, he right, had, like, right around the corner. Yeah. He was posted up in some VIP nice. section. It was probably was Michael cool. Jordan's side off yeah. but because. Um, and it was good, you know. He gave gave props when it was due, and then uh, I think a couple told weeks. Told us we were coming back to Boston. Yeah, told us yeah. we were going to Boston. We told him we wanted to be a main event. He's like, I probably can't make that happen, but I'll, you know, I'll make sure you have high placement on the card. And then we actually did end up headlining our next card. But uh, and then a couple weeks later, we were out in Vegas at the um, Contender Series, and he called Calvin over, and Calvin talked to him for a couple of minutes. And so I think it's like there's a mutual respect there, I think, between him and all the fighters, because like. I think especially that like Calvin knows what he goes through on the promoter side, knows how much of a headache promoting a fight can be. And then um, being that he's from Boston, there's that there's still that connection. So I like to think that he's still cheering for the Boston guys, even though he lives out in Vegas now. Yeah, yeah 100%. They, they call it a Vegas-based company, but I mean, yeah. it's got a lot of Boston running through yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. You can feel that, too, with Dana and how he operates, all the Boston, the yeah. Bostonian in him. For sure. And you got Anik. Um, you got Rogan. Yeah. You got, uh, yeah, a lot of higher-ups. Fitzgerald. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, Calvin, you're 34 right now, right? Um, what keeps you coming back for more? Just chasing the life on the other side of a win. And, you know, everything, like water tastes better on after a win. And, um, you know, that win side money feels good in the account, you know, opens a lot of doors or opportunities for me. So I'm just all in. And um, if I don't get these opportunities to pay out, in my, you know, in my favor, it's, it's just never in my mindset because I didn't work hard enough, you know what I mean? I don't want to lose any opportunities because I'm not working hard enough for it. So just um, staying on the gas right now. And, and like Kobe says, he's like, you know, rest at the end, not in the middle. I just feel like I'm in the middle of it right now, and I'm just going right through it. And then there'll be, you know, a nice sunset on the back end where all the hard work pays off, and I'm going through it right now. Yeah, keep going. And is there any better feeling than staying in the octagon after a KO? Nothing better, especially at TD Garden. Yeah. <laughs> so, wait, you fought, you did fight there? And not to mention, man, that was when I was, like, getting paid, what, like 14, 14, 12, and 12? I think you were 14, 14. Something that like that, and then you get a 50K bonus. You're just like, yeah, let's go. We need an event to come back to Boston soon, I think. The rumor yeah. is you get it. You ask them both that tomorrow. I When's will. coming? Yeah. Because these two guys need to co-headline it, so. That'd be amazing. Um, no, that's awesome. And so if you weren't fighting right now, I guess for both of you, if you weren't in the fight game, what would you be doing? I wonder that a lot. I feel like I'd, I'd have a, a lot more Italian food in me, <laughs> you know, probably up around Tyson's weight. <laughs> I don't know. You'll get here soon, bro. Yeah, I can't wait. Do you guys ever spar? No, I don't spar anymore. No, no. Like, Tyson wears his mouth guard to keep time. Yeah, You never know when you're going to I'm not bullshit. It's not a joke. I, just, I got a fake tooth. I've had yeah, mouth surgery, so I don't mess nervous. around. Yeah. 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 Uh, but no, so but combat zone is probably like your next step for a while and like what you want to focus on. Yeah, like I'm really um, excited about trying to just um, I always had an idea when I was fighting and, and taking over combat zone that they would just kind of um, complement each other, you know, and we're at a point now where um, I'm able to network my fighter relationships with, you know, um, combat zone. So it's only helping the next crew of guys underneath us, you know, um, with opportunities. So yeah, I'm focusing on that. And then um Obviously, right now, my main focus is being a teammate to Rob Font April 30th. On the back end of that, hopefully, I think I'll have a couple shows lined up and probably a fight date, I'm hoping. 
So busy, busy, man, but good to be busy with good things. Yeah, stay at it. I got to get to a, uh, in New England, I got to get to a combat zone fight. Hell yeah. yeah. Wh- when's the next one? Working on a date um, at the Encore, hopefully um, late summer, and as well in New Hampshire. So late summer is going to be a busy uh, couple months. Love Promoting it. a couple events, New Hampshire, Mass, and then uh, hopefully a fight date. But we'll That'd see what Uncle T says. Ask Daniel about that one, too. <laughs> yeah, around that time, I'll be taking uh, Tyson's texts and phone calls a little more serious. Yeah. I call, he answers, you know. Just it's funny, man. You get that call, your whole day changes immediately. I mean, not that we're not already moving, but just once it sinks in, you know, especially when Rob just got back from Bahamas day one, shaking it out, and then all of a sudden, I actually answered Rob's phone because he's in the middle of, a uh, like, talking to one of the students or something, and Tyson's, like, telling me about the fight, saying, yeah, we're probably going to go ahead with this. And I could see Rob. I gave him the phone. I could just see the whole thing just starting to register in his face, like, fuck. He's like, you want to hit mitts? Yeah, no, so he's like, yo, I'm going to need a couple of hard mitt rounds right now. I'm like, I get it. Let's go. Oh, I love it. And so how do you guys get away from the game? Like, I heard a rumor has it, Calvin, you're not a bad golfer. I mean, I'm not a good one either, but I, I golf is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I try to get out there. Honestly, the par three, um, I try to play a quick par three, hour, hour and a half, you know, but that two and a half, three hour, that scramble tournament stuff, that's not like. It's a long day. Yeah, it's a long day, man. So try to balance quick. Quick nine, part three in the morning. Keeps your mind off uh, all the craziness throughout the day with the sparring. Tyson, any talent on the course? No. I'm good at eating <laughs> the hot dogs on the ninth hole. Yeah. He'll come, you know, actually, I'll too. Come and I'll, just just just, I'll just stick, pick up my just, ball, go yeah. with there. Scramble rules for me. They're <laughs> keeping score. I just, it's more a social event for me. But, um, yeah, I think I think these guys, they don't need necessarily a life away from golf. Uh, away from golf. Away from MMA right <laughs> yeah. now because, you know, we've integrated the life into the game like that. The game is their life. Like, you know, it's not these guys that come into a 12 week camp, disappear for three months, then get a bout agreement, come back. Like they're literally in the gym year round. So if they go golf and they probably train that day too. We're doing push-ups uh, honestly after like whoever wins each hole. Sometimes we're throwing yeah. down push-ups on every you know, person in the morning. I mean, can't hurt a little splash of some push-ups, mid, uh, mid golf, just to constantly stay moving. Um, do a little, a lot, then a lot, a little, you know? Yeah, and you look at, like, the four major sports, like football, basketball, baseball. They have these long off-seasons, right? And there's not really an off-season for you guys. No. Yeah. You always get that call. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. Like, we don't – and that's why I think, like, the hardest transition I've had from uh, – obviously, I never fought in the UFC, but, like, when you go from fighting and then you go to coaching, it's it's literally there is no off-season. I'm like, man, damn, Bill Belichick gets, like, a few months to just chill. <laughs> we don't know when that will come. You know, my, trying to plan a vacation – I have three kids. Trying to plan a vacation is very hard. And, like – so we finally went to Florida a couple months, you know, what, seven weeks ago, went to Florida. And uh, halfway through the vacation, we get the call that Rob's in camp. And it's like, and then you're stressed because you're not home. And it's, it's tough. And, um, yeah, there's no, there is no off season. But, you know, you got you to gotta love this. It doesn't, ha- it doesn't feel like work. You know, I, I come out here, it's like there are busy days. You know, like we, we work hard. And sometimes you're pulling all-nighters with the weight cuts and stuff like that. But, you know, when you, you literally love something and you're so passionate about it, it doesn't feel like work it's uh it, it, it's awesome when you can nobody that hasn't found what they're passionate about can understand what these guys do or what i do or and then t- totally comprehend it because then they they think it's uh you know you, they think you're crazy yeah. but really it just doesn't feel like you're working it's just yeah, you don't work a day in your life doing right. what you love and so what like what makes a ufc athlete different than a football nfl guy nba is it, is it the mentality um well, the, the, pretty much anybody that's in one of the major four sports, they're, they're doing it for the money. Like, they get into it because you can be rich and famous. When these guys started fighting, 
there was no rich and fame. Like, there was none of that. There wasn't ESPN. There was no, like, Dana White broke down a lot of doors doing what he's doing. But, like, when I took my first fight, it was, it was like, no one's getting rich fighting. Um, when he took his first, you know, he had the first fight before I did. Um, no one was getting rich. No, that wasn't why people got into it. And, like, even now, like, no one's getting into it because they think they're going to, you know, be as rich as LeBron James. Like, it's just not, that's not how it works. You know, the Conor McGregor, there's one Conor McGregor. Um, and, and these guys are, they really are just, like, you're doing it on your own. Like, if, you're, if you play for the Patriots, you have your own UFCPI at your team. You know, you have that year-round, and, you know, you're, you got all this other TLC and, and that stuff. But to be a fighter, it's, it's, it's a lonely journey. Like, you have your team and stuff, but, you know, you're kind of winging it. You're finding physical therapists at home. You're finding, like, you know, different doctors you can work with, and, you know, you're finding the right teammates. But a lot of it's, like, very, like, we're still such a young sport that, you know, you can go to the NFL and, and see what a, a training camp should look like. Go to all these MMA training camps, they're all very different. And that's because people are still trying to figure out how it works. So like, man, I don't even know what the original question was, but <laughs> I think the biggest difference is that these guys do it because they're like, they're passionate about it and they, they just like the idea of uh, getting into fighting. Now I think if you look at the new fighters, it's a little bit different. Like the guys that are just starting now, they see guys getting kind of like Instagram famous and making decent enough money, so they're like, "Oh, I want to do that." I call those the blue check mark guys. They just want to get a couple fights, go to the UFC, so they can tell girls they went to the UFC or whatever. But um, doing it for the profile. And those yeah, guys get yeah. their ass kicked. Yeah, and you know, some, no, honestly, some days now those guys might win fights in the UFC. You know, it's a, it's a different sport. But those guys that are coming up through the NFL and this and that, like they're, yeah, I mean, those guys are gonna get rich. They're getting into it maybe, probably for that reason, or maybe they don't have other options like. This is a sport that, like, these guys choose to do knowing that there's not that, like, big money pot at the end of the rainbow. Yeah. So. Odds stacked against me only motivate me more, though. Like, you know, throw more on my plate, and I'll find a way to get it done in my mind. You know what I mean? I love it, man. Setbacks only motivate me more, and they happen in part of the game, you know? But I think that's what separates a lot of times good from great and, and just how you respond to adversity and setbacks. Yep. And I think that speaks to you not – the setback being a loss, you not losing two fights in a row. Exactly. Yeah. And so I know you guys got a fight camp that you're running and a lot going on. So I appreciate the time today. So one final question for Calvin, I guess. What's one piece of advice that you've learned throughout your journey in the UFC, in sports, in your training that you could pass along to the next generation to help them accomplish their goals in everyday life, whether that's a fighter or just someone on the streets? Yeah, I mean, just having the right camp around you, the right team took me over 10 years in the game in order to meet Tyson and Rob, you know, and it uh, didn't fit fit right or feel right until I found it. But, you know, we didn't start off with, like, the Patriots, Bill Belichick, you know, uh, Tom Brady, Robert Kraft. You know, they started together right off right off the get. And, um, you know, we had to find that. So just try to find those people you can align with that are go-getters and, and are willing to put in the work with you and, and actually care about your career as much as you do and keep your head down and get to work. I love it. Well, it's because it's going to be a long road. <laughs> Damn right. Oh, well, I appreciate the time again. Thank you. Hope uh, Rob kicks, kicks ass on next Saturday. Let's go. Um, but thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Pass the Torch. I had a ton of fun, so I hope you guys did as well. Please hit that subscribe button and don't miss a new episode. Also, you can head to torchpro.com where you can find lots more content with athletes, whether it be video features, docu-series, or other podcasts. I promise you guys will enjoy. Lastly, if you have any interest in becoming a smarter sports fan, you'll want to subscribe to our daily sports newsletter, The Morning Blitz. 
You can find it all at torchpro.com and we'll see you next episode.